Hey, 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 how's it going out there, my mushroom lovers? Oliver Carlin here, and I'm the Mushroom Man. We're about to jump into a podcast that I did with Quinn Stone, who's gonna share his remarkable story of his lifelong addiction for over 18 years and the struggles that he went through to go through that, what caused him to get into the addiction, and how it was affecting his health. And I mean, at one point, the doctors gave him six months to live, and how mushrooms were able to help him overcome his addiction with just a single dose, and not only that, but change his life and his direction and put him on the new path that he is today. So the big question is this. With over 10,000 different species of mushrooms, how do people that want to benefit from their various medicinal properties accurately identify them in the wild, grow them at home, or make them taste delicious without having to read confusing medical reports and possibly eating a poisonous look-alike by mistake? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Oliver Carlin, and welcome to Curative Mushrooms. Cool. Well, hey, Quinn, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining me today on the Curative Mushrooms podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is it's, it's awesome. It's awesome that uh, I'm getting to speak out about my journey and hopefully inspire others. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing your story because I know this can be challenging and a lot of this stuff can be personal, too. And so thank you for sharing your story. and. Um, and I think the audience will really appreciate it as well. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I just like to jump in at the beginning, man. And just, uh, let's start, you know, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Well, I was born in France, um, to, uh, my dad was in the military. I was born in this like amazing castle in Carcassonne in the South of France. It's like, it's, uh, it's it's famous because when the Anglo-Saxons took over all of France, this one city held out longer than the Anglo-Saxons. Like they they would surround cities and then just starve them out. But the the French people inside the castle outlasted the the Anglo-Saxons and they threw their pig carcasses over the castle walls as a gesture of like okay you know like we out we outlived you like go on leave us alone and that's where the the name comes from carcass son it means ringing carcass so the mm. school that i went to or the preschool that i went to was is actually a museum of the school that i went to now so it's really freaking cool um but i my parents divorced when i was three and i moved to the states i moved to salt lake city utah and she immediately remarried to a Mormon missionary. So wait up, where... real, real quick. So you you said you you grew up in a castle. <laughs> That's freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah, I've I never mean, heard it, that before. <laughs> it was a it was like a city. It was a city within castle walls. It wasn't like a castle. It was like surrounded by castle walls, and all the houses and all the buildings and everything were all like cobblestone and wow, really that, cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I've never heard that. It's gorgeous. It's really and that was in France, you said, right? Yep, in the south of France. All right, cool, man. Yeah. Um, so we moved to uh Salt Lake City, Utah. My mom had met a French missionary when she was in France. And for for a few years, we went to Mormon church until I was seven. Um, about at the age of you know, when we moved to the States, we didn't 
know a word of English. Like it was my mom, my older brother and me. We didn't know a word of English, but the Mormon missionary, he spoke English and French. So that's how we were like getting by. But I had to learn French really quickly. I was, I mean, uh, English really quickly. I was often bullied because I had an accent. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to speak properly. And, and so right off the bat, it was kind of rough for me. Elementary school, I was getting bullied and picked on a lot for being French, for being the foreign kid. Um, and about the age of five or six, one of the neighborhood boys started basically like molesting all the kids in the neighborhood. You know, like you show me yours, I'll show you mine. Um, and us being like five, six, you know, seven years old, whatever, we didn't we didn't know any better um, until, you know, basically he had all of us touching each other. We were all like, you know, sexually abusing each other and not knowing what we were doing. But once we or at least for me, once I hit about the age of 10, 11, I realized what had happened. I realized like what was going on. And I realized that because of my behaviors, uh, my attachment styles, and the way that I craved some kind of validation from people that I was worthy, or that, you know, um, I didn't feel I didn't feel loved if I wasn't physically touched. And that carried with me into my teens, into my and into my teens, I started really, really being depressed about not only what happened to myself. And in fact, it wasn't even so much what had happened to me. It was that I also did those things to other kids, you know, like we were we were all doing it to each other. And it's like, I'm, I'm as guilty as those other kids you know and what we did to each other and it's just that really that really was hard for me when I spoke out about it when I was a child uh whether it was the where whether it was the language barrier or I couldn't properly articulate my words at, at that age my message didn't get across that I have I was being physically you know sex, sexually abused and I thought that it didn't, that wasn't, it wasn't a big deal, you know, and my mom was uh, raped from the ages of seven to 15 and her being my only parent, you know, in my brain, it was kind of like, oh, well, this is just a thing that happens to people. Like we just, you know, we just get sexually abused. That's just a thing. And so that like became that became like a, a that really messed with my head you know it was like what I did to what I also did to those kids and what happened to me and everything else like that and feeling the need for appreciation and the need for validation and everything moving around a lot being being foreigners and trying to like better our lives. My mom was moving us around a lot into different places. We struggled for a long time, getting kicked out of, you know, apartments and um, homes in the freaking bad part of town. And so making friends was really hard and into my 
means I didn't have a stable location. Like I didn't have a stable, like a, I had a parent who her, who she herself wasn't very stable. She was raised not knowing what love from a parent is supposed to look like to begin with. And, and or, or any decent parenting skills for that matter. She wasn't taught any of those things. So she did the very best she could. Um, but moving around and doing all these things, it was just very hard for me as growing up. And once I found, once I w became a teenager and found substances like hard substances like cocaine, uh, well, it started off with weed. Obviously, I, I started smoking weed and it wasn't an addiction to weed that got me started on everything. It was my addiction to validation, like my obsession for the need to being like accepted and and feel wanted and so once i started seeing that like the cool kids were smoking weed it was like well how how do i get to be friends with the cool kids i sell them weed you know and mm -hmm. so i started selling the cool kids weed then i started selling the jocks steroids i started selling the weirdos molly i started selling you know all these stuff and and basically i was like in with all of the groups because of all the drugs that I was selling. And I was like, oh, all these people are my friend. I'm so popular. Everybody loves me. You know, everything's so great and this and that. And then high school ends. Everybody kind of goes their own separate ways. And, you know, the phone calls start like diminishing. I start using more than really I'm selling. And it just drops downhill really quickly. I'm I'm using coke and heroin at this point. You know, it during high school it was great. It was so much fun. I went on like I went to raves. I freaking like had sex with random people that I didn't ever know or ever saw again. I was like freaking everybody loved each other and there was orgies and parties and cocaine freaking mountains and all this shit and and like in my teens it was amazing but once i turned once i turned 18 and i discovered like other shit like heroin because i had done painkillers previously but like heroin was just on another level of of like grabbing me um it was like this isn't fucking fun anymore and it ruined my life quickly uh, at age 21, I got sober for my very first time. I got sent to France for three months to live with my brother for um to try and you know get sober, but I didn't have any I didn't have any plan. And when I got back, I had a, a group like a group of friends that were basically waiting for me like, hey, we're so happy that you're sober and we're like so stoked for you and like and everything was good for about a year and a half. And then the party started getting out of hand again. And this girl came back into my life that was using opiates and to get with her again, the obsession for validation, you know, as a man or as a, as, you know, being worthy in society, like, oh, if I can, you know, get the, the most beautiful girl, then everybody will think I'm, I'm amazing. I'm the shit. Um, so I started selling pills and all this other stuff again to get her attention and the next thing you know I'm right back into it and it was just a it was just a roller coaster of this like you know seeking validation and then getting sober but not getting any real help or or really evaluating or understanding what's happening 
you know, like I, I'm, I'm telling you what I see in retrospect at that time, I didn't realize that my obsession was, was validation or, or acceptance. I was just like, Oh, I'm just having fun. And I, and this is a way to make friends. Mm. Um, so when I was uh, 20, I think it was 23 or 25, I was 25, it was 2011. And I was selling coke and heroin out of my mom's empty house. She had moved to Georgia and she was like, you can stay in the house, but you know, all the furniture, I'm taking it. I didn't have money for new furniture. So I was living in an empty house with a bedroom set, five bedroom house, and only one room had furniture in it. And I'm selling dope out of this house. And um, I woke up one morning, my girlfriend, she, my fiance at the time just got out of jail the night before uh, for nine months and she was actually sober but she came to my place and I she knew I was selling and doing drugs but she was trying to stay sober or whatever the morning after she gets out I have this pain in my groin like you wouldn't believe like I like somebody was stomping on my nuts all night and I was puking uh, it hurt so bad I was like you gotta take me to the hospital there's something wrong so I go to the hospital and they're uh they're like well it looks like you have a testicular torsion where one of your testicles wraps around the other one and now it's cutting off circulation of one of the testicles and you're you're urinating blood like i was i was pissing blood i thought it was brown because i and i didn't care because i was in and so far out you know so far gone on drugs that i didn't care about anything so they're like you've been pissing blood and i was like oh you know i just thought it was dark whatever um we have to operate or you're going to lose it. It's like, okay, I'll operate, you know, but I've been using intravenously for a while now and all my veins are shot. You might have trouble, you know, getting a vein, whatever. Mm. They're like, okay, cool. Whatever. They give me a shot to put me to sleep and they go through with the surgery. The surgery goes great. I wake up from the anesthesia and because I had been doing a uh, Coke and heroin, like literally right before I went under um, when they hit me with the, the adrenaline to wake me up from the anesthesia, my coronary artery just exploded. Like my heart rate just skyrocketed. My coronary artery blew and I went into cardiac arrest. And um, so they rushed me up to, to the ER and, and uh, for five days they had me on, full life support where my heart was not pumping on its own a lot of the times when people get on life support um they'll get on like a it'll the balloon pump will pump once for you and your heart will pump once for itself and you know that's how they like get you your heart back into like it's like a muscle you know to retrain it uh but i was just i was gone and none of my family was in utah to be like yeah you know pull the plug or save him or whatever so the doctors are calling around trying to find my next of kin you know it's only been my mom my brother and my sister of my entire family everybody else is in france so my sister who's under who's a minor at this time had to come down from montana and sign a paper saying hey keep my brother alive until my mom gets here and uh, they're like, yeah, they, he's not going to make it like, you know, he's not going to make it until your mom gets here. Like he, he he's going to die. Um, so five days into the coma. They uh, 
they tried to wake me up. They woke me up from from the the induced coma. And when they when I woke up, I have all these tubes. You know, I'm intubated. I have you know all the freaking wires and tubes everywhere. And um, I mean, I can't I can't speak. I'm, I've got this thing in my mouth, and I'm just like, what? I actually don't even remember. But everybody was like, you just freaked out. And you just tried to pull the tubes out. You're trying to pull. You didn't understand. Last thing I remember, I was going in for surgery to get this testicular torsion done, right? So I, I don't remember what I was thinking when I woke up with tubes in my mouth, but I was probably thinking like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> you know, like, um, I didn't remember going into cardiac arrest or even waking up from from the surgery. I still don't remember it. Um, and so they put me back under immediately. And they, they took all the tubes out of my throat and everything. And they woke me back up the next day and I, and I wake up and my family is around my bedside and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, you know, none of them live in, in Salt Lake city, Utah. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, well, we, they didn't think that you were going to make it out of the coma. They told us to come and say goodbye to you because like, they didn't think, you know, you, you were dead. You went into cardiac arrest and you were dead and, they did everything, you know, they, they just didn't think you're gonna make it. Um, so I sit up in my, I sit up in my hospital bed or whatever. And about, I don't know, an hour or so goes by and the doctor comes in and he's like, Hey, so this is what happened. You know, he explained to me what happened with my coronary artery. He brought out this like heart, you know, this mold of a heart that has like layers on it and whatnot. Like this is what happened is like you have done so much damage to your heart that you you have the ejection fraction is 15%, which is it's supposed to be for somebody at my age at that time it was supposed to be about 92%. Like you're you're at 15%. We're gonna have to um implant a defibrillator in your chest to make sure that you don't have that you like don't have a heart attack. And we honestly don't see you live in past six months you you know you got about six months to live so i was like i don't fucking believe it like i don't believe this like i i just came in for a surgery <laughs> yeah you know like no, none of this even happened like i don't believe it um they gave me some uh some methadone wafers to get off of my heroin addiction or whatnot and i moved to georgia with my mom she was like you know come spend the last six months that you have alive with some family so after a couple of months, I was like, fuck this. I hate life. I'm just going to go and get high until I die. I don't fucking care anymore. And went right back down that roller coaster. And um, was just living that fucking life. Just, you know, running from the cops, selling drugs, shooting, getting shot, trap houses, prostitution, you know, you name it. Uh, home invasions, whatever. And, um, I just got to the point, you know, I, I felt so worthless at this point. And I was like, I, I started, you know, throughout this, throughout the times of getting sober, you know, I started to evaluate, like, what is all of this even about? Like, what is this life even about? What am I even doing here is like, and I didn't much believe in a higher power at that time, but I was like, what? is my purpose here like this is it for me 
to fucking have lived my best days at 18 years old. And now I'm living, you know, 18 years as a, as a Coke and heroin addict at this point, I was shooting up crack cocaine and heroin at the same time I was breaking it back down into pure cocaine and shooting it at the same time. And I'm like, you know, this is it for me. This is, this is the plan. This is the great scheme that God has fucking laid out for me. Like I'm that guy that's just going to be fucking a miserable piece of shit. And I'm either going to die a fucking junkie or I'm going to, or I'm going to fucking, you know, that was the only option. I was like, what, what else is there? I'm going to try to be a successful drug addict until I'm fucking 90, just living on the streets, you know, selling drugs and robbing fucking AC units out of people's houses and, I was like, I'm fucking tired of this. Holy shit. But I still, even though I wanted it, I wanted it more than anything. I wanted sobriety more than anything, but I didn't know how to get it. And I was like, man, let me just fucking, you know, I, I've got to figure something out. And I was on my bedside living in a house where it was just a fucking miserable situation. But anyway... I'm on the, my bedside and I've been shooting up and I've been trying to shoot up for like the last 45 minutes and I can't find a vein because my veins are shot since I was fucking 23 or 25. And um, I finally, I finally get the blood to freaking pull back up in the, in the syringe. And I'm like, Oh my God, I mean, you know, that means you're hitting the vein so you can push the, the shit back in. And as I go back in, it, it starts to sting, which means I'm missing, I'm missing mm. the vein and I'm, it's, it's not good. You can't do that. You'll get an abscess. So I'm like, fuck, I pull it back out. And now I've got blood in the needle. Well, the blood will coagulate within like 60 seconds to two minutes and it'll clog the needle. And so my whole thing will fucking be wasted. And I'm just so frustrated and just like everything piled on top of everything. You know, it wasn't that one particular thing at that moment, but like my cup was just so full of all the bullshit and all the pain and hurt and resentment and anger and everything else that that was just like the last drop that just made up everything fucking explode and i was just fucking like crying and crying i was just like god like i don't you know i don't i don't get it like fucking either take my life or give me strength because i i can't do this anymore and i pulled out the plunger to the needle because it was clogged and I and I swallowed the shit with the fucking coagulated blood in it just so that I could like have hopes of at least falling asleep that night and I fall asleep finally after like an hour of fucking shaking and um I wake up and I and I look around and I see you know there's blood splatter on my wall and my dog is fucking miserable looking at me like the one the like one creature in my life who fucking was like always gave me that unconditional love you know a creature looking at me like dude get your fucking life together you know and I'm like man I gotta do something and I picked up the phone and I called my mom I was like I gotta mom I need help I need help and I don't know what the fuck I need to do but I need help and she and for the hundredth time she's like come come down to Columbus Georgia and and I'll help you get sober so I went down to Columbus. I got I got off of coke and heroin, and I did that through a medical assisted treatment called Suboxone. And I was so fucking gone 
my my veins were so shot that they couldn't even pull my blood at the methadone clinic to accept me into a program. So I had to get my I had to get my subs off the streets. So I got my subs off the streets and I do like a 60 day taper. And during that time, I'm also smoking weed and, you know, helping with the the, the anxiety. Um, and I had gotten evaluated by a professional before um, before or no, actually. This is after. Sorry. Um, so I'm smoking weed and stuff because it's relieving my anxiety, not and not really even knowing at this time that I have any kind of mental health conditions or or any kind of like whatever. So I'm smoking weed, everything's fine. I'm like at least getting back on my feet. I get off the suboxone and then my my sister or I'm sorry, my mom is like, Hey, you you know, you should really look into getting some professional help. I was like, you know what, you're right. Like I, I've wasted 18 years of my life. If I would have just went to like a one year inpatient rehab when I was like 25, I wouldn't be here at 35 wishing that I fucking would have done something about this addiction problem. Like, mm-hmm. like I had gotten, I had gotten sober so many times, but never knew how to stay sober. And so I was like, okay, I'm sober now. I need to know, I need to learn how to stay sober. So I got into a sober living program everything was going pretty well, but, um, I was completely abstinent, no weed, no alcohol. Um, well, I, I was drinking caffeine and, and nicotine and I was smoking nicotine and technically I was not abstinent, but, um, so I was doing that and, but yet my mind was elsewhere instead of taking the money that I was making and spending it on my, registration for my motorcycle or getting my motorcycle license or getting it insured. Um, I decided I was going to take that money and spend it on taking out, taking this girl out on a date and, you know, taking her out to sushi and, and trying to impress her and doing all these things. Because once again, my addiction was not the substance. My addiction was the, the, the obsession for the need to like, you know, get validation and feel accepted and you know um escape who i was um because i didn't like who i was so doing these things that are you know out of out of normal character spending my money my rent money on dates instead of my rent um was part of that addiction the obsession you know of needing of of the escape of who I was because I was escaping that really I need that money I'm broke and I can't be taking you out but let me put on this mask of like hey I'm this rich guy who's got it all together riding around a motorcycle you know with nine months of sobriety so still even at that point I didn't understand what my obsession or my addiction actually really was um but during that time a lot of great things happened I got some great tools from the AA program, um, I started to look at accepting a higher power in a different way. And the message, you know, of once we are doing well to help other people who are struggling or we're at a place where we've been before. And, you know, I, I kind of took like bits and pieces of, of that program and added it to like my tool belt of other things that I have you know, gathered to try and stay sober. So it's not just like AA that keeps me sober or like 
this other rehab that I went to that was uh, focusing on neuroplasticity. It was like all these little things. And I decided, you know, I, so I was not spending my money where I was supposed to. My obsession was still strong. I was, I was clean from hard, you know, from substances, but my mind was not sober from the obsession. And I get on my motorcycle on my way home from an AA meeting to meet this girl that was always going to the AA meetings with me. I'm going 143 on the freeway. I see a freaking cop fly by me on going the opposite way. And I was like, oh shit, I let off the throttle. And as I let off the throttle and I look down to see how fast I'm going, I see a, another police officer in the corner of my eye and I'm going 123. And I'm like, shit. fuck. <laughs> so I just like, I floor, I, I, you know, just gun the throttle. I'm like, he's not going to chase me. I'm going 123 and he's in an SUV, right? So I'm like, there's no way he's going to catch me. So I'm just hauling ass. I get to like, uh, I get to where the, the highway comes to like a, a normal little town and it's the first light. And I'm like looking behind me. I don't see anything. Everything's good. I'm like, okay, cool. Just like, you know, relax, chill. I'm, I'm like three blocks away from my house. Um, and I'm just waiting for the red light. And then all of a sudden I hear the sirens. Wee, wee. And I look behind me and sure enough, he's on me. So I start gunning it. I blow through that red light, blow through the next red light. I'm going, I'm weaving in and out of traffic next to freaking, um, next to school zones. I'm going, you know, I'm speeding through school zones. I'm riding on the sidewalks. I'm going the wrong direction on the road. I'm just like trying to get away from these cops, leading them on a high speed chase, being an idiot for 15 minutes. And I, I go around, I go to go around this corner. I've got a good lead on them. I'm about to lose them. And right as I go around this corner, there's a, a van that pulls out to the stop sign and I had to counter correct. And then when I went back, I didn't have time to make it. And I flew over the front of my bike, landed in like this grassy patch and I get my bike up and I'm lifting my bike and all, and the cops are just on me. All of a sudden there's like 10 of them. I get down on the ground, blah, blah, blah. So they rip my backpack off. They throw me in handcuffs, take my helmet off, you know. And um, they're like, what are you running for? Where's the drugs and everything? They're ripping open my backpack. And and the only thing I had in my backpack was uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the big book. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and a book that's very well known in the Alcoholics Anonymous community called <laughs> Drop the Rock. <laughs> Literally all I had. So they're like, what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> and I was like, well, my license is suspended. Uh, the car, the the bike's not registered. There's no insurance. And like, I mean, you know, I ran for the same reason everybody runs. I thought that I could get away. <laughs> and they're like, dude, you're, you're dumb. So they slapped me with, uh, with a felony fleeing and attempting to elude and 13 other misdemeanors, which they could have like, they could have hit me with the book. They didn't charge me with any of the freaking red lights or going through the um, school zone or any, any of that. So they were actually pretty, really pretty nice with me, but that I went to, I went to jail and I spent 30 days in jail. I get out and I'm no longer in the sober living program. Uh, I lose all of my contacts. I'm like back at square one. I lose all motivation and boom, 
the opportunity to use drugs presents itself. And I'm like, there's my obsession, my obsession for the need to escape who I am. And my and who I am right now is somebody who's broken and needs help. And instead of doing that, I'm going to use drugs and pretend like I can do it all on my own and, and put on the mask. And so hmm. I get back on drugs and um before getting on drugs i got a value i'm sorry before uh before that incident happened i got evaluated and turns out that i have adhd um and um what was it and uh, bpd which is uh, borderline personality disorder so i didn't really you know I was still in that mode where I'm like I'm not gonna get on any substances because that's looked down upon I'm here in AA and you know you can't be on anything so I just have to deal with my mental health with no medication um, and that was a big part of the thinking you know my obsession have like having more control over my rational thinking because I was shunned for thinking that I could take medications for my mental health and still be sober so the judgment that i got in the rooms for wanting to be on medication kept me away from getting help for my mental health which was the obsession of wanting you know it's like this giant cycle of like I, I need help but to get help i can't be on a substance or else i won't be sober by this community mm -hmm. or you know, so I had to choose between being sober and getting help for my mental health. Um, and, and I kept thinking that like being sober or being, you know, clean and whatever they think that is, because everybody has a different idea of what being clean means. Cause some, some think that caffeine and nicotine is okay, but that's not abstinent. So it's like, wherever they decide to fucking draw the line is what my sobriety is. And I was like, no, I'm done with that thinking. So um, I get out of jail, like I said, and I'm, I fall back into it for the next year. And I mean, it just goes downhill super quick because, you know, I'm just used to that lifestyle. So it's like, I, I don't care. Like I'll, I'll go from, you know, using one week and being fucking robbing, robbing the, you know, the neighbor, within a week because I need money because I'm used to it. You know, it doesn't take me a year to get to that point anymore. It's like, I'll go straight to robbing shit, you know, as if I need to. Um, so after about a, about a year, um, I'm deep in and I'm living in a trap house. We're, uh, I'm sick as fuck. And I'm withdrawing, you know, I'm withdrawing from, from heroin and my mind's just freaking racing you know, the, the drugs, the, the amount of dopamine and the psychological aspect of it as well tells you like, Hey, you need this drug. Like if you don't have this drug today, you will die. Like the pain, the anxiety, like everything, like you will die. So I need you to get up and, and find a way to get well whether that means robbing your neighbor or freaking holding up a grocery store or whatever it is like you need to do this mm. you know and and so that rational thinking just goes out the window and it's like i i need this to survive you know and your body kicks into that fight or flight mode like this is what i have to do it's 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 me or them at this point you know it's either i die or i steal your tv you know what i mean like mm. 
Um, so my brain was just like, you know, you need to, you need to go get some dope. So finally scavenger, scavenger some, some money to go and get some dope. And as I'm here, at, you know, me and my roommate at the time, we'd go to our dope dealer's house and he drove me there. Uh, cause I didn't have a car. We get to the dude's house. We're in his hotel. Or it was the hotel. Sorry. We get to this hotel room. He's there with his girlfriend and his girlfriend goes downstairs to do a deal. And my friend, my roommate and I are, are uh, I'm sitting in a chair and he's, my roommate's doing the deal with the dope dealer. And I look over and there's a pistol on the, on the side table. So I grab the pistol and I'm like, I'm just going to fucking kill these guys. I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill the dope dealer. I'm going to kill my roommate. Cause I don't fucking care. And when his girlfriend comes back, I'm going to kill her too. I'm going to take the dope because he had, he had just re-upped. He had like for an ounce of heroin. He had cash like crazy. He was just like showing off all this shit that he just bought and all this stuff. I'm like, I'm going to fucking kill him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, literally, like I was serious. You know, I had shot guns before I'd been shot at plenty of times and this was nothing new to me. So I'm like, I'm going to fucking kill these guys. And as I'm contemplating it, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I can't, I can't kill both of them right now. I have to wait for his girlfriend to come back because they'll hear the gunshots and she'll run and she'll know that I was, it was me. She'll be like, Quinn did it. So I have to wait for her to come back. And once she closes the door, I'll fucking kill them. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, for, and and for a second, I was like, you're going to kill your own roommate too. And I was like, I don't fucking care. And I was like, yeah, okay, but how'd you get here? Well, he drove you here. And like, if they just ask the, they just ask around the local drug addicts, they'll find out that me and Alex were running together. So I can't kill, I can't kill Alex. He brought me here. They'll tie it back to the car. They'll know it was me. So I was like, okay, so I kill them and me and Alex just, you know, make a break for it. And I'm like, I'm like, no, they, I can't do that. There's a camera outside. They'll, they'll see the car. They'll tag the car, the license plate to us. They'll catch us. No problem. It's like, okay, so there's no way that I'm going to get away with this. Cause I don't want to go spend my life in prison. You know, I've done shit. I've done stupid shit when I've had to, I've shot guns and all this other stuff, you know, because I've had to, but like, I'm here contemplating it. And I'm like, this just isn't fucking smart. Right. So I'm like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get some more money somehow. I'm going to come back and I'm going to fucking find a way to kill these two. And uh, I get home and we're doing, we're doing drugs. I'm trying to find more money to get back over there. And I, I like get upset because one of I got some money, but it, some PayPal or some shit took money out of my account. I didn't have exactly what I needed. I got frustrated. I threw my phone down and it ricochets off the coffee table and shatters this TV, my roommate's TV. And I'm just like, so fucking, I'm just like, oh my God. I call my mom. I tell her what happened. Send me money, send me money so that I can get more dough. I was like, great. I'm going to tell her it's like a couple hundred extra so I can go back to homeboy's house and fucking do him and his girlfriend. My mom just got some feeling. She calls my sister. She says, call your brother. He needs help. My sister calls me. She's like, what the fuck's going on? I tell her what's going on. And she's like, all right. Um, I'm coming to, uh, I'm like already on my way. I'm coming to help you. And I like, I was like, oh, fuck no. Because she's going to come down here and she's going to know that I'm using again. You know, like if this time being, 
I hadn't seen them in like eight months or something. And I was in, you know, sober. I was telling them I was sober looking for a job and all this shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, she's going to come down here. She's going to know right away that I'm using just one look at me. You know, she just has that power because she knows me. She's seen it for 18 years. She knows when I'm doing well. She knows when I'm not. So she comes down and I'm just like, I'm freaking out. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm contemplating like, dude, you were just, you were just contemplating a, a, a triple homicide and you're here like you're right back where you were a year ago where you promised you would never fucking be again and like when is it enough you know and i mean my sister she's like five five or something you know 110 115 pounds or something she was like get your fucking ass in the car because you are clearly using like i'm gonna help you pack your shit we're packing your shit and you're moving to my house you're gonna get sober and I I could have very well been like, dude, fuck you. You know, you're five, five, 110 pounds. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm a grown man. But like, and I resisted a little bit. I was like, no, I'm not. You know, the, the addiction was like, no, I'm not. I'm comfortable here in this fucking hell, in this chaos. Um, but inside I was like, yeah, I can't fucking do this anymore. You know, I, I, I remembered being on my knees, praying to God to fucking help me or give me strength. And I was like, okay like get in the fucking car. So we packed my shit and I got in the car, um, went and did a 60 day suboxone taper at my house again without, you know, had to get it on the streets again, uh, smoking weed for my anxiety again. And, uh, at this point now though, I know that I have mental health conditions and that I should be on medication, but at the same time, I have that voice in my head. That's like, Hey, you're not sober. If you're doing medications, you know, you have to be abstinent to be sober and I wanted that title. I wanted to be sober because I didn't want anybody to be like, oh, you're still a drug addict. Even though you're not doing coke and heroin, you're still a drug addict because you're doing, you're smoking weed. You know, like you're a fucking piece of shit because you're smoking weed. And so I was like, I was like, well, I'm not going to go to AA anymore. I'm just going to work my own program. I'm going to try and do what's best for me. And there, you know, a part of me is still saying like, I don't want to be on pharmaceuticals because I just, I'm kind of a conspiracy theorist where I'm like, no, all the fucking pharmaceuticals were invented by the Rockefellers and they fucking are just like to capitalize on the petroleum based, you know, like type of shit. Um, So, so I'm like, let me, let me like, what's this microdosing shit about? Like I keep hearing Joe Rogan talk about microdosing and you know i click on it and so like now other videos about microdosing are popping up and i'm seeing this guy who's got parkinson's disease take it and like within like 20 minutes this guy goes from like shaking like this to like steady and i'm like i'm like wait a minute there's healing properties to to (laughs) psychedelics like i like all i know psychedelics for is is fucking like exploring like other realms you know i i did it a bunch when i was a teen and i was like okay so it's got healing properties i've done mushrooms at this point in my life like a hundred times so like mushrooms are not a new thing to me but using mushrooms as a medicinal benefit was something new to me so i was like okay well they're talking about beneficial for mental health conditions like depression and and OCD and ADHD and 
I'm like, I have all those things. <laughs> like, let's see what's up. You know, I'm not scared. Like people are like, oh yeah. And then you get, you take too much and and then you're on another planet. I'm like, I'm not scared to fucking be on another planet. Like, let's go. Um, so I started researching in what microdosing actually means and that, it, you know, that it's like a, a very low dosage of what, you know, what I consider a macro trip or where you're actually seeing things or, and actually even feeling anything. Mm-hmm. And so I started, I started to, to microdose. I started to take a, you know, a little mushroom here, a little mushroom there. And I was weighing it out and doing all this stuff. And, and I got to a point where I was like, my depression is really low. My, my anxiety is really low. My OCD tendencies are really low. Like I'm, I'm loving life, but I'm still, I'm still like really just winging it. You know, I'm not, I don't really know how to stay sober. I'm just like winging it. I'm just saying no as, you know, as, and, and trying not to be confronted with my drug of choice. And also I'm like going back and forth within my head. Like, am I trying to microdose because of the obsession? You know, is it, am I trying to get high? Am I trying to like reach another universe because it's my obsession that doesn't want to be who I am I want to take myself out of my body and who I am because I don't love myself you know and so it's like why am I smoking weed is it because I'm you know is it because I want to feel accepted or is it because it helps my mental health condition my anxiety Mm -hmm. and my depression like and I started to really evaluate these decisions Mm -hmm. and I really feel like psychedelics and have have helped me really have a different way of thinking after 18 years of of addiction you're you're after 18 years of anything after 18 years of driving a car your brain starts to say hey you know you put your foot on the gas and the car goes boom and when the light turns yellow you start to put on the brake boom you know and your brain just starts to grow these spider webs of neurological passages that facilitate that action the next time that you do it so after 18 years of addiction my brain has grown this cobweb of like of neurological passages it's like this is how we live life mm-hmm. drugs drug like you're sad we use drugs you're upset we use drugs you love someone you use drugs you fucking you know you get a new uh, a new job you use drugs you get broken up with you use drugs and my brain was just like that's all i know is mm-hmm. drugs were like the core of of my addiction that spread out to like you know those neurological passages that are like oh this is how you drive on drugs this is how you love on drugs you know and so I was like that's all my brain knows and I I need to get away from this particular like addiction loop these neurological passages of me thinking that everything can be resolved with substances needs to stop and I, I started hearing about ayahuasca and ibogaine and like, like the ego death and, you know, like a reset and, and mm-hmm. bufo and all these like amazing medicines. And I was like, so it is possible to retrain the brain. It is possible mm-hmm. to get out of this way of thinking and to build something new. And it takes not only wanting it, but like also understanding how it works and i was like okay so every time that every time that i am upset instead of 
instead of using drugs, which is what my neurological passages have been built to do, I'm going to start doing something else. I'm going to start going outside and being in nature and finding a hobby. And so now my brain is building these new neurological passages, which from the studies that I've seen is what the psilocybin and and these psychedelics really help you do is like start to like get those those neurons firing again so that they can wire again and so now i'm like okay this is how we use it as a medicine and when we start to look into like these these medicine ceremonies with ayahuasca and ibogaine they they call it sitting with the medicine and it's like it's it's an experience i i have an experience but from what i've read it's an experience unlike any other where it's complete detachment from from ego and you know what does this person think of me what does that person think of me am i good enough am i not good enough so i was like well i don't have really access to ibogaine or or ayahuasca it's illegal here and i didn't really know anybody at that time here in the united states that could facilitate something like that but i did have access to a large amount of mushrooms psilocybin mushrooms and i was like you know what maybe nobody's just ever you know really tried doing a whole shit ton of mushrooms like for healing purposes yeah the intention right right so that's what i did so i was like you know what i need this brain reset because i'm trying to stay sober and yeah i want to be sober but like my brain is still saying hey i kind of want to do coke now and then and i kind of want to just do a painkiller now and then or a xanax or a fucking adderall or whatever it is so i knew that i didn't I personally didn't want to use those drugs. It was just my brain saying, hey, that's what we're used to. Mm. So I was like, okay, I need to retrain my brain. So I started to like do shadow work on like, what is it that is like upsetting me in this moment? What is it that is like making me feel this way? Why do I feel like this person is upset when they're not? Or why do I feel criticized or the need to defend myself or why do I feel offended or all these things. And I, and I, and I all kind of circled back to the, the experiences that I had when I was a child of being molested and and everything that I did. Mm. And I had to be like, okay, so for the last, you know, this happened, you know, started when I was five, and at this point I'm 35 I said so for the last 30 years I let an experience that happened to me at the age of five control my life for 30 years how long am I going to continue to do that Mm. and so I took a bunch of mushrooms and I and I like I was like I'm gonna figure this out how do we heal from this and on this on this experience I I got to a place where I'm sitting with a younger version of myself and we're not really talking, but we're communicating through pictures, right? It's like, I think I'm thinking like a picture of me saying like, like, like hugging you, you know, like hugging myself, like, Hey, you know, I, I know what happened. I know your secret. I'm here. You can talk to me. I love you. And the, the young, you know, the younger version of myself, you know, relayed back to me, the ideas, um, 
of of the molestation of feeling unworthy of feeling unloved and unheard and you know i i gave back the ideas of love and you know unconditional love and and healing and acceptance and understanding and <clears throat> i thought to myself you know this kid that was going around like molesting us and having others having a, us molest each other was only a few years older than us you know like 10 i think he was 10 or something and i'm thinking like where does where does this kid get the idea that physical love is an acceptable form or i'm sorry physical touch is an acceptable form of love you know like he's learning this behavior from somewhere you don't just like you don't just like you know grow up thinking that it's okay to to touch other people so in my head i'm like man this kid was probably experiencing something similar at home he was probably get you know he was he was probably being molested by you know somebody close to him which is almost even worse you know than being molested by somebody that you don't really know yeah. um so i'm like okay you know that doesn't make that doesn't make it okay that doesn't make what happened okay but it gives me a level of understanding and a level of compassion for him that i didn't have before where i'm like okay you know what you're just a kid and like i saw the effects that it had on me growing up being like you know thinking that physical love like that i needed to be touched to be to be loved i understood why he felt the need to express his love through physical touch you know when that's all you know you know and you want to show somebody that you love them you do what you've been taught and not saying that it's okay but i understand as a ten, you know as a 10 year old child where his mind was at mm -hmm. so i was like i was like okay well you know i i forgive you i forgive you for what you did to me, you know, and, and not to, not to like excuse his behavior or anything that he did. It was just so that I can let go of that resentment that I was holding on to for 30 years that kept me through this like depression and, and like lack of self-worth and self-respect and, and everything else that led me to the that led me to the need to escape who I was because who I was was a poor little molested sad depressed hurt angry abandoned child and mm. I didn't like that I didn't like that that's who I was and that's how I felt about myself and so I had to I had to you know change that I had to change that and say look like you know, I, I, I forgive, I forgive him. And, and I can take that power back of saying like, you will no longer have this thing to hold against me. You know, I will no longer resent you for what you did for, to me. And therefore you don't have that power over me mm. because once I forgive you, then that makes me a terrible person if I continue to hold that against you. So for myself, I've got to let that go. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Like I cannot forgive you and then continue to fucking be upset at you. That's just not right. So I'm like, okay, I forgive you. And now we can move forward. And I started like, I started, you know, I, I hugged and cried with my inner child. And, and I started remer- uh, reminiscing about fun stuff that we used to do, like going, going to the caves the nutty putty caves and going to hot springs and, you know, having fun in the pool with my sister and, you know, water balloon fights and all this amazing stuff. And I, and I started thinking about like how, how much crazy shit that I've done. The fact that I have like escaped death so many times that I shouldn't be here, that they gave me six months to live at one point that I've been shot at, that I had been like, you know, I just, I just realized that like, holy shit, dude, after everything that you've done, you're now sober. Like you're fucking, you know, like, yeah, you're tripping your balls off on mushrooms right now, but you're not fucking like robbing cars and fucking holding up people at gunpoint to shoot dope up in your arm. You're doing this because you want to heal. You're doing this because you did your research and you saw that there is a benefit to having this experience outside of yourself and you're, you're on the right path, you know? And it was like, it was like my higher self being like, dude, you're, you're on the right path. You're onto something and I'm proud of you. And I got this dopamine flood and I got this rush and I got this like touch of God and, and like whatever you want to call it that I never experienced before on any kind of, on any kind of drug, yeah. you know, like not, not like any kind of like, and, and it was, it was, a, it wasn't the drug. It was, it was me, you know, it was, it was the self-fulfillment. It was the like pride. It was like, it was like, dude, you're, you're, I don't know. It was, it was what I would, what I would expect that they're talking about in the 12th and final step of AA when they say after having had a spiritual awakening. Nice. So at this point, I'm like, I'm like, I've, I've, I've figured it out. I, I'm not, I haven't figured out like addiction and and like all this other stuff, but I've figured out for me that like my addiction was never about the substance. It was about my obsession for the need to escape my reality in some form or another. Mm. And, and so I said, okay, I, I swear. And I, and I, whatever I have to do, like, I don't, I don't even really know. Like, I, I don't know what the, what the magic code is or what the magic freaking, you know, recipe is all i know is that for me all i have to do is not do heroin and not do coke ever again you know like if i need if i need to like go to the hospital and they need to give me morphine because i broke my arm great you know whatever i'm not going to refuse that if they need to you know put novocaine in my freaking gums to numb me up whatever like but me personally, I will not use those substances as a means to escape my reality ever again. And that's all I personally have to do. Mm-hmm. And I got all of this, all of this revelation of like who it is that I am, how to heal who I am, 
um you know the shadow work the the like the healing of my inner child and you know all of these things combined i found what works for me and what works for me is not feeling like i'm being tied to a pharmaceutical substance like Xanax or like Adderall, like they want me prescribed to for my, for my mental health. There's no, you know, I don't have to be worried about going through withdrawals on if I don't, you know, take some, take my microdose or something. Um, and that to me was like, man, it's nature, you know, and I want to be more in tune with nature and less in tune with like this, this, artificial mechanism that you know people have built around like mental health and all this stuff to to profit and gain and all this shit I was like I want to heal and I want to heal spiritually and not just like put the mask on and to me putting the mask on is Adderall it's Xanax it's coke it's heroin it's you know obsessive drinking and, and shit like that and it's like the earth has provided for us and so you know, back in our, back in the day, not our day, back in the day, people who had schizophrenia and stuff, these people were taken into the hills and shown, sh- like shown, like ways of the, of the, of the wise men and the oracles and the shamans and stuff. Like these people with mental health conditions were like spiritual healers and fortune tellers. And like, these people had to like, were in tune with other things you know, and I was like, I was like, I, for me, that is the, that is the experience that I want to have on this earth, this spiritual, you know, awakening and enlightenment and like, you know, finding, finding healing through plant medicines and stuff. This is the path that I want for me not this artificial like put the mask on and and like let me just be you know zoned out all the time over here and Mm -hmm. so some of it does require me dealing with my mental health more than if i were to mask but the amount of like dopamine and serotonin and and these feel-good chemicals that i'm getting from like doing it like healthy in a healing way through plant medicines, through, through earth, through yeah. like what God and our mother earth has provided for us. It just, it just starts like, it's almost like I can feel my brain being like growing these neurological passages and being like, this is, this is, this is working for me. And this yeah. is how, this is how I'm going to live the most happy, fulfilled life that I possibly can. And so from all that, I just started this journey of trying to to heal myself and trying to be the best version of myself that I can that I, that I can manifest. And mm-hmm. so I continue to work on, you know, finding healthy coping mechanisms. I continue to work on bettering myself and, you know, finding finding ways of breaking the cycle of like hey i'm mad i want to go use and and breaking that neurological passage and saying hey i'm mad i'm gonna go and and find a way to make amends with this person and and you know maybe i just need to realize where i have gone wrong and how you know where 
like what my part in this situation is you know take take a step back and and apologize instead of like just escaping through substance abuse and um so I started speaking out about my journey I started you know posting it on TikTok my sister was like oh I just saw this guy on TikTok he's got you know a hundred thousand followers and people you know he's really inspiring people to get sober and uh my my brain was like you know oh the last step of you know the la- the twelfth step in AA is after having had a spiritual awakening through the uh, as a result of these steps we continue to carry the message to those who still suffer and I was like well I've had my spiritual awakening I've found my reason of getting sober and what my reason for addiction and so I need to I you know I feel compelled to to give back. I also had the idea that I wanted to journal my journey of getting sober for the, for the last time, you know, like I knew like, this is it. I, I'm just never going to touch Coke and heroin again. And I really didn't have an attraction to it at that point. Hmm. So I, uh, so I started, I started reaching out about my journey or I'm sorry. I started um, posting about my journey and people started reacting and, you know, and then I wasn't even really, you know, expecting to, to get anybody to like want to change or anything. You know, I was really just sharing to people what I was doing and how I was living and like all these things that I was getting into and these hobbies and whatnot. And then I got this message that was like, Hey Quinn, I want you to know that I've been watching you for a while. And today you've, you've, uh, inspired me to get into a sober living program and I'm I'm like about to walk into this this uh this this rehab and you inspired me to do this and I was just like I was my heart just like filled with love you know like oh my god I did that are you kidding me like I'm not even I'm not even really trying to to like motivate anybody else to get sober I'm just doing what I'm doing to get sober and you know like I thought it was the most amazing feeling in the world that somebody was inspired by my journey and I was like this is what I want to do like this amount of like oxytocin or serotonin or dopamine or whatever it is that I'm being filled with right now that I actually am helping somebody get out of the fucking hell that I experienced Cause like when I experience, when I think of addiction, I think of all the shit that I did. I don't know about other people's addictions and how far, or how low that they, they went, but I think about how low that I went and I'm like, man, I don't want that for anybody. And so mm-hmm. when somebody tells me, Hey, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm going to get help from my addiction. I'm thinking, man, you're getting help from the lifestyle that I lived. And I understand that. So I'm fucking proud of you. And I love that for you. And I want everybody, everybody to, to experience a life outside of that Mm -hmm. and so I was like this is it this is it for me this is what I want to do and uh and I just started posting more regularly I started posting on Facebook and I got this huge got this huge response off of Facebook in the month of June um it just like blew up out of nowhere like I started posting heavily I saw that Facebook was posting reels I started posting all my reels that I had saved up from TikTok. And one of my reels got like 18 million views. And wow. I got, yeah, I got like 30,000 subscribers. I got 30,000 followers in the first month of really posting to Facebook. 
And I was like, this must mean that like people are feeling me, like people are feeling my journey and people are like excited to see where it is that I end up. And is this like whole, like at that moment was a fad of like getting help through microdosing because, you know, we all saw, um, what's his name that freaking is with um, the Kardashian what's it what's that uh comedian's name with the kardashians i don't know i don't follow them very much oh, uh <laughs> he, he's a comedian he's super funny pete davidson pete davidson, davidson uh yeah. gets on gets on jimmy kimmel or something talking about how he microdoses and stuff like that for his mental health and i was yeah. just like I was like, oh, okay. So now this thing is like really picking up and stuff, you know, it's getting traction. And so people were starting to like really look into these, these um, medicines as like an actual, like legitimate thing instead of just this fad. Mm -hmm. And then Colorado legalizes 100% for psychedelic use and Oregon. Mm-hmm. and uh and and then people are like wait a minute they're actually selling mushrooms <laughs> mushroom bars in a store like this so so it's not just bullshit anymore you know it's not just like a bunch of a bunch of hippies going and picking up mushrooms out of out of cow shit in the pastures and tripping anymore it's like this is this is the real deal like they're putting it in shelves that means that there's a fucking benefit for it right mm-hmm. um and so people just started vibing and and you know that's it's amazing to me because whether it's the algorithm that's driving people to me or i'm driving to them i'm starting to enter this circle of people who are looking into like plant medicines as an an alter as an alternative to being on prescription medications or or maybe not an alternative but maybe a complement to you know like maybe i'm on some kind of antidepressant but it's not enough or maybe i'm on you know something but like my depression is still this or whatever it's like at least it's opening the doors to a different way of healing outside of like being tied to a substance mm-hmm. so i think that you know i think that along with you know the uh the whole everybody wants to see a success story you know and everybody you know and and those who don't want to see a a success story want to see a real good you know fail story um you know half the people are watching me to see if i succeed and the other half are watching to wait and tell me ah see i told you you couldn't fucking do it because you're smoking weed and doing mushrooms you know so um i just i'm just happy and really content fucking proving them wrong every day wow man uh, <laughs> sorry i took up that entire time no no that was that was an amazing story <laughs> it was no it was um one question i had yeah. was um when how much mushrooms did you take uh i took a quarter you took a quarter okay but this was this was after a quarter a quarter what like a, a quarter, quarter of a, a quarter of an ounce yeah it's not oh like, a quarter of an ounce yeah it's seven so grams 
seven grams okay. yeah so it's not like so that, anything that's, that's, super ridiculous but i was definitely like oh that's that's a melting big, that's a that's a major <laughs> dose that's that's what i took that's a hero's journey i mean hero's yeah. journey is anything above five grams so i mean just for anyone listening just to get an idea of what you know what how much you did and, and got the benefits from that but i mean that i thought that was amazing to hear because i myself personally have experienced um life-changing results from seven grams and and i think uh you know what you ex what you explained about yours and what i thought was really cool was like you had this um you explained basically that all these drugs you had been taking in your life were basically just there to escape just to escape the person you didn't want to escape those memories you didn't want to have and to just basically numb the pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And then when you took the mushrooms, it's like, it was the opposite of that. It like went straight to the source, right. Yeah. What was going on? <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's, it's really funny. I actually joke about that. Sometimes people are like, how'd you get sober? And I'm like, I did a bunch of drugs, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I did a bunch of drugs and it, <laughs> like it inspired me to get sober. Like I took a bunch of mushrooms and it inspired me to like live a healthier, happier life. And even though like I microdose and I smoke weed for my anxiety, that's not my obsession being like, oh, I just want to fit in. I want to be cool. It's my body saying, hey, we're learning ways of helping our body and our mind through through mother nature instead of through a synthetic, you know, a synthetic substance. And that's what that's that's important for me. You know, I think like exactly what you're explaining, I think a lot of people probably feel the same way, especially if they've been on harder drugs, you know, like you have. And there's this stigma, like everything's bad. If it's a drug, mm -hmm. it's bad. That's it. And there's no such thing as a good drug. Like right. everything's a bad drug. Right. And, you know, even for me, I microdose and, you know. This is zero nicotine, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> But like when, when people, people that don't understand, they would hear that and they wouldn't get it. They'd be like, oh, you're addicted to drugs. You, you mm -hmm. microdose every day. Oh, you're addicted. You, can you go without it? And they get into this whole, this idea of addiction that everything, if it's addiction, it has to be bad. Well, guess what? We're addicted to air. Right. Try going without air for a few minutes or try <laughs> going without water. Are you addicted yeah. to water? I am. Right. Right. If I don't exactly. get it, what happens? I die. If I, I'm also addicted to food, by the way. So right. there's a lot of addictions out there. They're not bad, right? Right. And I think that's what you like when you were talking, I could just feel I could just see you going through that realization when you got to when you did the mushrooms mm -hmm. and you had to really almost realize that look, because like you said, you said something interesting, the AA, right? They were like you had to be a hundred percent, what'd you call it? Like Abstinent. off of everything. Abstinent, Abstinent. Right? Yeah. 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 And you've, you've said, you know what, forget this. I'm going to do my own thing. And mm -hmm. you, then you did it. Yeah. Well, what I found interesting was that once I started sponsoring people, like, you know, once you get to a certain point, you can, you know, take somebody under your wing and tell them, you know, Hey, this is how I've gotten 30 days or 60 days or 90 days or whatever. Um, and uh, once I started doing that, 
and once I started being friends with like the directors of of the sober living and stuff and and I started observing these people who were like walking around getting you know their pills you know like there's a pill call so every day you meet up at the office at you know whatever 8 a.m or 9 a.m and you get your pills for your mental health or whatever it is and during like in rehab in sober living in these freaking programs these people are taking substances and then going to aa and being like yeah i'm sober and it's like so you're not sober you're taking medications whatever that is i don't care what it is if you're taking something you're taking something right so whatever that is and then you're coming into aa saying that you're sober so what i realized was that a large portion of these people are claiming abstinence and mm-hmm. then taking prescription medications or claiming abstinence, which by which by the book of AA is no caffeine and no nicotine. So these guys are sitting there preaching abstinence while they have while they're on their third monster energy and smoking a pack of cigarette for the day, <laughs> you know? So it's like it's like, so what is abstinence to you? Like to you, abstinence is 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 not doing all these drugs but smoking cigarettes and and you know three coffees when you wake up is is abstinence so like to the next person it's that and the prescription medications that they need and and for me it's my you know what i need so yeah yeah like like who gets to choose you know and ultimately i had to choose for myself and be like look i don't care whether you smoke weed or whether you take prescriptions or whether you're abstinent, that's great. All I care, all I care about is that you're working on you, you know, and your program and doing what's working for you to not be in addiction, which like I said to my vision of addiction is, you know, everything that I explained to you. So that's what I don't want for you and whatever you got to do. If that means being abstinent, fucking do it if that means that you're that you've got like bipolar depression or whatever you need to be on wellbutrin do it if you've got you know some kind of mental health and you need to be on prescription and you you know you don't have plant medicine options or whatever whatever you know i had to go through the step of getting on prescription medications to find out that it wasn't for me so if you're at that step that's awesome you know, once I was on that step and I was like, I don't want to feel like this. Then I, then I started um, figuring out alternative plant medicines for what I was going through. And that works for me. And, and like, all I want is for people to not be homeless, dying in the streets, shooting, shooting Coke and heroin in their arms, because nowadays this fentanyl shit and this car fentanyl is even worse and all this other stuff. It's just, they're killing us by the droves and they don't care, you know? And it's, and I, and I'm like, we're here for more than that. We're here for more than just being a bunch of junkies dying under a bridge. Mm. We deserve more than that. And God has a better life or our higher power or the highest version of yourself has Mm. a bigger vision for you than that, you know? So that's really the message is that, you know, I don't care. I don't care how you recover. I don't care what it is that you got to do. Just like live the best life, understand what's best for you. You know, plant medicines is the way that worked for me to keep me not being homeless and, 
and shooting up coke in the streets and you know trap houses and gun gunshots and all this stuff so so how long um how long now has it been since you've been on the hard stuff and everything that you wanted to get off of i've been sober from coke and heroin 20 i think it's 28 months i got sober october well i i say it's october 1st of 2020 because it's easy to remember but it's actually like a day or two before that so well congrats on that but now when you did get seven grams of mushrooms did you did it still take time to come off of the the other stuff after that or were you just completely done with it all after the seven grams or how did that look what do you mean the other stuff um like the well you said the heroin and the coke and everything like Uh, uh, i know you did the mushrooms and then your goal was to get off stop doing that what did you already stop it before you did the mushrooms okay yeah 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 i had uh i actually waited before i went on that on that macro trip i waited probably 60 days after taking my last suboxone because i was on suboxone medical assistant treatment okay um for 60 days and i don't know for me i have i i don't know if this if this my theory holds any water at all but my brain was thinking okay like after all the research that i did on like on like how the how psilocybin helps boost the neural plasticity in your brain i was like well i don't want to i don't want my brain to think that this is how it should adapt by being on a substance right like i didn't want to be on suboxone and being like okay brain like I'm going to start taking mushrooms and I want you to learn how to adapt to life because right. I'm on a substance and I want to remove the substance. So I was like, I'm going to start to microdose. And I'm going to start this journey once I'm off of all like substances because I would suboxone is a physically addictive substance, just like heroin. It's just like a, it's just a step, you know, it's supposed to help you. But anyway, um, so I was like, I, I want to train my brain to cope with life at the very rawest level that I can have it. And right. and so I didn't want to be on a substance. So I waited about 60 days before I started microdosing. Um, and it was shortly after that that I like went on like a, a hero's trip. I like that. And then after that, you've been you've been sober. Yeah. I mean, I I, I consider smoking weed and doing mushrooms sober so but yeah um after that i've been confronted we went we my sister and i went from kansas to seattle washington and Mm -hmm. then and then back to atlanta georgia on a road trip we drove there with a dog and three cats all the way there and all the way back (laughs) <laughs> and along the way we freaking adventured we journeyed we went to parties we went to bars we like did all this stuff and being at these parties and bars and all these fun people and all this stuff um <clears throat> i got offered cocaine mm. and i'm uh i'm in this party it's a house party we all went there after the bar and uh, we're hanging out and somebody offers me some coke you know there's like 30 people in this house and everybody's doing coke and shit and and um 
I I immediately like you know recognized the situation that I was in because I see you know from across the room this guy's really close to this guy and this guy's putting stuff on his hand and you know this mm-hmm. guy's like tapping some stuff on the table and you know lining it up and so I knew it was happening around me and mm-hmm. I kind of had a moment to like really evaluate like oh fuck like I'm this close you know I'm I'm in this proximity of like my obsession you know like what the fuck am I gonna do and then and then somebody offered it to me hey bro you want to bump and uh it was it made my heart jump for a second because it's like man when have you ever when have you ever turned down coke like it's free (laughs) drugs you know like it's literally free drugs when have you ever done that and I was like man tonight has been such an amazing night I had the most amazing time. It's me and my sister. We're at this party. We've made all these friends. Like we're in Salt Lake City, Utah again, hanging out with a buddy of mine. And we got invited to this after party. Like these people fucking love, like they don't love, but they like me enough to invite me back to their house. You know, like, and I did this, like, yeah, I had, I had a, you know, I had a drink or two or whatever, but I wasn't, you know, I've never been a big drinker. So I'm not like drunk or anything, but these people like me, at least for like my conversation and whatever, you know, and I'm telling people about like my sober journey and whatnot. And I'm like, holy shit, dude, like you're here, people like you and you're not on Coke right Mm -hmm. now. Why would you add Coke to this? They already like you. So why would you, you know, is this going to enhance your journey or is this going to take away from your experience? Nice. You know, and I was like, in this moment right now, because I'm so happy and everything's going well, like I could ruin this moment by taking Coke, because if I take Coke, my sister's going to she's going to know she's going to see my eyes. She's going to be like, what the fuck? Like we're out here on vacation, you know, so like I had my choices in my hand, either like say no to Coke and like continue to have an amazing night and and feel amazing because people actually like are talking to you and you're not on a substance and like they actually care and you know so clearly you have charisma of some sort like you're not a shit bag robbing people and doing all this other shit or you can ruin this moment and fucking end this night really pretty quickly by you know and all it's gonna take is you being paranoid enough to look at your sister the wrong way and she's gonna know that you're fucked up and the end the night's gonna end right there you're going to ruin the vacation. You're going to ruin the level of trust that you've built up into this. And I had the decisions on my on my hands. And it's like, there's no fucking brainer. Like, I, why would I do this? It's a no brainer. And I said, look, bro, I really appreciate you, but I'm actually in recovery. And I'm trying not to do that right now. So, you know, I appreciate it, but no, thank you. And uh, he just like took a step back and he's like, are you serious, bro? I'm so sorry. And he just like starts to get all fucking watery eyed. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm fucking struggling so hard. I'm trying to get off this shit, bro. But I just can't say no. Like, how do you do it? And, you know, I was like, holy fuck. Like me, you know, and I sat there and I talked to this guy for a little bit and like me talking to this guy, like, hopefully maybe he got inspired to be like, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but maybe, you know, something that I said resonated with him to be like, Hey, you know what? Like, yeah, I think I want to, yeah, I think I want that. 
think I want that. And, and that fucking feeling that I got was, I got so fucking high from the dopamine that was mm. released. It was like 10 times better than fucking being fucked up on Coke, 10 times better than being fucked up on Coke. And not, not only that, but I didn't ruin my relationship with my sister that night. I didn't fucking end up in the corner, grinding my teeth, fucking analyzing everybody with my anxiety through the roof. You know, mm. I we left the party like on good terms. I didn't fucking steal anything from anybody or take somebody's fucking wallet or sneak into somebody's fucking bedroom to, you know, jack their Xbox or some shit. And all that because all I had to do was say no. Mm. I don't want to do that because it will not enhance my experience today. Wow. And and that's you know that's what I continue to do every single day is is just evaluate my decisions is this gonna take me closer or further away from the highest life path that i want to live yeah yeah well yeah that takes a lot of strength to say no you know so i mean now when you say microdose what does that mean to you like what everyone's got their own ideas i think of microdosing like what what is a microdose to you from what I understand, it's anything under a half of a gram of mushrooms. Um, from talking to people, I have heard a lot of women say that a half of a gram is kind of a lot for them and they start to feel stuff. Um, so I would say like a beginner from what I've heard is like a point one, a point two maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then like, you know, maybe you've been doing it a, a little while and you're okay with how it feels, or maybe you don't feel anything at all, which is the goal is to not really feel anything at all. Um, and you decide, Hey, you know what? I'm liking these effects. Maybe I want to up it a little bit. You know, from what I've heard, it's under a half of a gram. I wouldn't take a half of a gram, uh, my first time. If, you know, for somebody out there who's wondering, I wouldn't do a half a gram my first time. I'd take like a 0.1, maybe once or twice, maybe three times. If that feels great for you, then leave it there. If you want to experience more, then, you know, continue on your journey. Is that is that what you've heard too? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's exactly what you said. Any typically they'll people will say like 0.1 to 0.25 around there is an um a normal microdose the only the only caveat really to that is you know i grow mushrooms so i'm pretty knowledgeable about the potency and i can just tell you that some mushrooms are 10 times more potent right. than others. so for me to say 0.1 with this mushroom and then mm -hmm. 0.1 with another mushroom could be completely different right so the only advice I'd give anyone is I'd be like, look, whatever you're trying, start with 0. 0.1 <laughs> yeah. with that mushroom. And if you're good with that, then keep doing 0. 0.1 with that batch. And then when you mm -hmm. get another batch, <laughs> do, try it, test it out all yeah. over again because you'd be surprised like how. Yeah, that's how a great point. It. That's a great point is, is, uh, you know, even from bag to bag, even if you have the same yeah. golden teachers or you have the same freaking, you know, albino, whatever is like, they, they could differ from, from batch to batch. So yeah, definitely, you know, if you're not looking to experience something like that, like me personally, Sometimes now and then I'll be like, oh, that's a perfect little cap. Why would I break that into half? And I'll just eat the whole cap. And I have no problem feeling a little like, you know, like seeing a little like extra sparkle in my in my vision. So like to me, it's not a big deal. Um, but some people don't like that. So. 
Yeah, for me, it just varies day by day. Like I my dose will vary. Like it'll be based on what I'm feeling that day, on what I feel like I want. And if I do too much, like maybe maybe I did too much. Maybe it was 0.3 that day and it was just really it came on pretty strong because my mushrooms are really strong. And for me, I'll just go meditate for like 10 minutes mm-hmm. and that'll it'll clear my head. But if I got to work and I got to perform and I got to do my job and I don't want to be interrupted with anything like to where I got to go meditate or lay down, then I keep it lower those days. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It kind of depends. It just depends. Like if it's the weekend and I just, <laughs> you know, I ain't got nothing to do that day and I'm just spending time and I'm going to go out in nature and hike, then I might do a little more that day because yeah, I'm going to be out in nature with my kids and I'll just go on a little mini thing. And for me, I perform really well at that level so it just depends right it's like yeah i don't know and and sometimes and i found that uh sometimes like i'll be like oh well this is the end of the bag and it's really only a point you know like point three point four or whatever no big deal but like that's all the spores that have gathered and taking that will be way more effective too than if you were to just take a, a solid stem so um anybody you know watch and beware of that too because that is a possibility that that the the spores and the remainder of the of the end of the bag will be far more potent than you know taking a stem or or something like that yeah absolutely now you said you said some other stuff that was interesting to me and you know so i'm retired navy right i did 20 years in the navy and you know i didn't really experiment before i joined the navy with drugs and so a lot of my family does a lot of drugs. Um, and I always had this idea in my mind that drugs were bad. Like all drugs were bad. Like it was horrible. You're going to end up in prison. You're going to be strung out on the street. And I had this, like, I was just like, that was my, 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 my mentality about it. Mm-hmm. And then I finally got out of the Navy and I did mushrooms for the first time. And I was like, and I did it with the right intentions, like you were saying. Right. And for me, it was just like, this was amazing. You know, this was, wait a minute. What? I didn't see the bad. And I was like, everyone's, I I felt like I was lied to my -hmm. whole life. Like this isn't bad. Like this just changed my life like completely. And then I tried marijuana, like, and, and it was the same thing. I was like, marijuana is like a psych. It is a psychedelic. And it started to open my mind instead of closing my mind. And I was and it's all about the dosage, right? You get the dosage right at a low level. And these plants, like you said, they have amazing health benefits. Mm-hmm. And and people joke with me. They said, oh, you smoke you smoke marijuana every day. And I said, so what? I'm happier. My life is better. I perform better. And I do all these things. So why would I stop? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if I'm doing good and everything in my life is good because of these things that I'm doing right. that are actually healthy for me, making me healthier on top of everything else, then I'm I'm okay to be addicted, even if you I'm not addicted, really, because I, I just stop whenever I want with it. But you get what I'm trying to say? Like, Yeah, absolutely. It's It's kind of like. It's about as it's about as ridiculous as telling somebody, you know, <laughs> oh, hey, you're you've got, you know, you've got bipolar depression, 
and you're doing good why don't you just stop your wellbutrin now <laughs> you know like you should just stop your meds now that you've you know yeah, that you've got your mental health exactly, condition exactly under under control like you know now just do it without your meds it's the same thing it's and because and because it's it be, because it's a mushroom and because it's it's marijuana and because of like the way that we've been conditioned to think that these plant medicines are not a viable way of of like dealing with these mental health conditions and it, they've been shunned and ridiculed by these by these pharmaceutical companies whose deliberate like plan to to phase out these healing medicines you know they've ingrained it in in us that like oh you're you, you know it's not okay to smoke weed you know it's not okay to because it's a plant and not a pill you know but um but you know it's it's really it's a more viable option in my opinion and and before all these petroleum based pharmaceuticals came about that's what was that's what we were doing we were healing people through mother nature and it was working yeah you know but they weren't making money off of that you know the weird thing though is like if you look at the history like tribes like indigenous tribes and if you go and you start looking like the native americans and some of these companies a lot of these um these people that lived before us in these more um, like jungle or nature environments they all use these plant medicines and the native americans especially in america they used them all the time and when you ask them about it they said it was medicine for them mm -hmm. exactly. and and it allowed them to connect to the spirits and all these things and all. And somewhere along the line, we got disconnected from that. Mm -hmm. Like it became, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden it, it became bad. Drugs were bad and they created these bad drugs and kind of, I feel like, I don't know the way I see it. I feel like they created these bad drugs to cause these horrible things to people to like scare people from not wanting to do any drugs and Whoa, dude mind fucking blown bro <laughs> that's no, what it's for real like. though for real though because like no that's a really that's a really interesting theory because i mean you know the the rockefellers who who invented like or who like patented rather um petroleum-based pharmaceuticals um they you know they they control a lot the, the, these giant families they control you know they control large portions of every business you know like all these giant businesses um that control paper that control textiles that control medicine that control you know what i mean and so it's like um when weed was you know when uh, they found that uh, hemp was such a viable source for like paper and all this other stuff, you know, they've, you've got the freaking the lumber companies and stuff. Now they're like, I don't want to support marijuana growth. Like you're going to take away all my money. You know, like I don't want to support weed as a plant medicine. You're going to take yeah, away from exactly. the pharmaceuticals. I don't want you to do. Mm -hmm. So when these giant companies own, you know, when these people, these billionaires own these giant companies, paper mills textile mills you know um oil you know cannabis oil and all that stuff is such an amazing thing and, and the pharmaceuticals and all this stuff 
of course you're going to be like hey let's 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 like demonize what this is and your idea of them introducing a harder substance to yeah. make it to like group weed and mushrooms into yeah, this category yeah. of like hey, all you had to do yeah people. all you had to do is scare people you just mm -hmm. scare them and they'll stop right exactly. and then you make it illegal right now it's illegal so not only will you you end up horrible life but they'll, you'll get arrested I mean, mm -hmm. my dad was telling me stories when he was younger. My dad's like 80 now. But when he was younger and he went to prison, he was talking to, and he was meeting people in prison that were literally there because they had marijuana on them. They were mm -hmm. doing like 10 years because they had marijuana at oh, that shit. point in time. That's that was far. That was way like 50 years ago. Laws Man, have changed a lot for marijuana. Holy yeah. Shit. But could you imagine that? Like That's that insane. was, and so like scare the shit out of people, right? Like, yeah. If you're going to do 15 years for what? For having some, a joint? Yeah. I mean, holy crap. So yeah, that's insane. I'm glad that we've, we've had the advancements that we have today. And they just, they opened up a shop, a uh, mushroom shop in Florida, which honestly, Florida doesn't need any more freaking, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's amazing. It's amazing that the the plant medicines are actually coming back into into uh into the scene of a viable way of helping people with their mental health and and I mean there's there's way more benefits too. Uh, I mean the energy the you know helps with depression for me it helped with my anxiety, my obsessive compulsive disorders. Um I'd have to you know I, I had like I I I have a stutter now and then you can hear it, you know, sometimes now and then, but it used to be a lot worse, you know? So, um, it really helps me. It helps me with a lot of things. So it's not just, it's not just my, you know, ADHD. It also helps me with my obsessive compulsive disorder, my anxiety, my depression. And I think the biggest thing that it's helped me with is really opening my eyes and like I was talking about, like that that bonding of new neurological passages of like finding a different way of coping with life, um, and that that perspective that it gave me on life is is just it's priceless. It's priceless to have that connection with like a higher power of like because really you know you you it's like the death of self for a moment. Oh, totally. You're like, I don't exist. I, know, I, I don't like exist I as died. myself. Yeah. 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 I, I, I used to talk about it with my, you know, my friends and stuff and be like, dude, I, I'm, I'm like 97% sure I died that day. Like, <laughs> I feel like I died and like I was reborn. And then one of my buddies, he looked at me and he said, you know, you did die. <laughs> Your ego died. Yeah, it's like ego, and I, I and then it, all of a sudden the pieces kind of came together in my mind. I was like, because I'd heard about ego death, and I was like, holy shit! So my ego died, and that's what I that's why I felt like I had died because I thought I was my ego. And once mm -hmm. you realize you're not your ego, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like the whole world is open to you. Yeah, like all these fucking walls and barriers that were there only in your mind are gone mm -hmm. and it was just like but yeah totally <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely 
yeah that's that that sense of like selflessness you know that i am not me but like i am us and we are one type of thing oh, yeah. you know it's just it's 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 an incredible feeling and for me it really gave me it gave me like that sense of like there's something greater out there like there's a greater path for me than than just to be like stuck on a substance for the rest of my life and it was for me it really helped now now <clears throat> something that if you would be cool to know is like i've only done marijuana and mushrooms really i haven't done any other drugs than that really and so which drugs are like the ones you just should stay away from that these are not good they're not going to help you spiritually they're not going to help your health like these are just like which drugs are for someone who doesn't know like just don't do these drugs or whatever uh, I mean, the main three, the main three are going to be Coke, heroin, and meth. Uh, but they, you know, but it's really, it's not even about the substance. You know, like I was saying, you know, heroin is really just painkillers, right? And you need painkillers if you go to surgery. You break your arm and, you know, they need to put it back in place and stuff, they're going to give you painkillers. Well, those painkillers are morphine-based, and that morphine-based is the same thing that they make heroin from, oh. right? And and methamphetamine, <clears throat> although, although methamphetamine is a complete uh, synthetic substance, they have found that at the right doses, amphetamine, which is one molecule away from methamphetamine, and which is a derivative of, is the main ingredient in Adderall, which helps people with ADHD, and cocaine, which is you know which is the main component of Novocaine, which is what they use to to numb you up in the dentist and stuff like that. So it's not even that there's like that drugs don't have a time or place, you know. It's right. really about our obsession. It's really about like what are mm -hmm. you using it for? Are you using it as a as a medicine? Are you using it because you mm -hmm. broke your arm or are you using uh, it because you're trying to get high? It's you all about the I mean? intention, right? Absolutely. And and understanding what that drug should be used for, right? Mm -hmm. Having yep. that knowledge. And you know, a lot of us don't get that knowledge. We like you, you know, like probably when you first did it, you just went to the drug dealer, you're at a party or whatever, and you got introduced. There was no like educational label like hey right. you only want to use this when you're you know you broke your leg and stuff yeah. and no one educated you you just said oh cool let me try this and the next thing you know you don't you're using something you have no knowledge of and no one's teaching you and now you're you're going through all this stuff right mm -hmm. yeah exactly and what i find interesting is that you know a lot of us a lot of us are content living in this life of chaos being on a substance because well, our brains are just not wired the same as some people. And like, <clears throat> you've got hundreds of thousands of people out there who are on Adderall and they live a manageable life. And without it, their life goes to shambles because, because they, can't, they can't think properly, right? So it's like, you can't deny that those things help people. 
and it's a there's a time or place are you taking it because you have a mental health condition or are you taking it because you because you're desperate because you're you know it's not even it's not even you're taking Adderall anymore but you're taking methamphetamine you know and the mm. reason why we get this like relief from methamphetamine is because well maybe we should be on Adderall and we just don't know because mm. a lot yeah. of us don't go and don't get know. evaluated exactly. right um but really like you know it circles back to like for me though it was just my relationship I had up until this point with pharmaceuticals and and those kind of substances I really just for me I wanted I wanted to try like a a more like um natural medicine you know from the earth um but that's just for me like I don't you know I, I don't shame anybody who's on Adderall or who needs to take some kind of mental health medication you know like I said I just I just want people to not be dying in the streets you know so mm-hmm. whatever you got to do and if plant medicines is a, an alternative that you want to look into then I commend that I commend that 100% yeah man and you know I since I started doing plant medicines myself, like I know for me, I've just kind of stuck to the thing. Like if it grows naturally from the earth, I will eat it in its natural form. <laughs> like, cause I know what I'm eating. I know it's mm-hmm. natural. I know the earth made it. And so I feel okay with that, you know, but then as soon as like crystal meth and it's, I seen like the lab equipment that goes into making crystal meth. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, nah, I think I'm good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's yeah. going on there, but I know earth is not making that that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, sure. LSD comes from the irrigate fungus, but again, it's made in a lab. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Give me one second. I'll be there. Yeah. Um, but you know, and, and even if even if it is in, made in a lab, you know that's why, that's why for me I had to let go of like that thinking of like you said like there's a bad drug or there's a good drug. It, it's not there is no bad drugs or good drugs. There's just drugs. What's good mm-hmm. or bad is the relationship that we have with those drugs. Right. Well, cool, man. Yeah, this was an awesome um, conversation and a yeah, great podcast. It. I think a lot of people are going to find a lot of benefit from this and thanks for sharing all that. I mean, that yeah. was just a just a very powerful story that you have that you've been through Thank and you. and I think, you know, helping other people it seems like it's what you're being called to do, man. Like so thank you for doing that. And if people want to follow you and learn more about what you're doing and everything, where can they go to find out more about you? So I'm on I'm on Facebook at Quinn Stone. That's Q U I N N Stone. Uh, I'm on TikTok Quinn dot Stone. Instagram Quinn Stone dot IG. It's all just basically just search Quinn Stone and you should be able to find me. But um, <clears throat> I really appreciate this. I don't know if you're gonna make this like a two part thing because it's like <laughs> almost two hours. Uh, but <laughs> that's not a be, bad idea, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be awesome. I really appreciate you having me on here. Um, I also have a clothing company called Sober Clothing, um, where where I take a portion of those proceeds and I help other people in recovery 
it's just a it's a way to support me um that's on my bonfire i also do sound healing and things like that and um i have a subs a subscription platform on patreon which is also quinstone so yeah sweet man you know i um have you have you ever heard of in harmony the meditation equipment mm sounds familiar but uh, no i, I use it I, I use it it's like this meditation cushion and it's got this subwoofer uh -huh. in built into it and oh, they cool. call it a cocoon and it comes with this headset and the headset's got these lights and it's all about frequency and sound and light and next oh, to your iphone and it has you download the app and it's like um and it has these different different frequency ranges that you can listen to it at like alpha theta gamma and what? delta and you can pick which frequency you want you pick the length so if you want to meditate for like 10 minutes or 20 minutes and you sit in this cushion man you put it over your eyes and it's i do it daily like every morning i, I that's how i start my day and it like it declutters all the confusion and allows me to focus on myself and understand myself and but anyway i love that thing you said in <laughs> harmony yeah, N I N harmony, one word. Oh, Not E harmony like the dating site, <laughs> but in harmony. In harmony, <laughs> heck yeah. It's yeah, not cheap. Uh, it's not cheap at all, but it's freaking amazing. Heck yeah. Um well, heck yeah. This has been a pleasure. Um, yeah, please definitely. I would love to, I would love to throw this up on my on my social media too, and, and hopefully we can inspire some people to to look into plant plant medicines and hopefully that'll be an option that that, that people are looking willing to look into because it's really it's really helped me a lot and oh me too man me too I, <laughs> I don't know if I I don't know if I would be here at this point in my journey if I hadn't gone on that that experience with my inner child and really like forgave my abuser and all that stuff so it was it's an yeah. experience I couldn't really could real never quick, really put a price on real quick though before we go you you mentioned how you had six months to live and that was how long ago so that's interesting that you mentioned that so i actually <clears throat> i actually woke up from that coma on 11 11 11 wow <laughs> yeah. 11 11 11 yep so november, i just november 11 2011 yep. oh yeah so I actually just celebrated 10 years or I had just celebrated 11 years last November. Wow. And so why did a they say 11s? <laughs> why did they say you only had six months to live? Because the uh, my coronary artery, I had just caused so much damage to my heart. You know, like once, you know, once your your heart blows that artery, it's like <clears throat> it just starts to deteriorate. Did they do um, open heart surgery on you or something? No, I no they uh they went they had like a they had this crazy instrument that went in through my theme my femoral artery and somehow um, it's like a balloon pump that like linked oh, linked okay. them back together and somehow they were able to patch it up from the inside. Um but yeah, they patched it up and they were like, well, your ejection fraction, which is how much blood my my heart is supposed to pump out. It was only 15%. And so they're like, like you, the amount of strength that my heart had 
was the same strength that a 92 year old man had, but I was 25. Wow. And so how did, how did you beat it? Like how, how come, you know, you're, you're still here and that, you know, you've made it past that. Was there, like, did I you do anything or it just, you just didn't, you just stayed alive. <laughs> uh, I actually, no, I actually went the complete opposite direction. And I said, you know what? Uh, I don't believe that I'm going to die. I just don't give a shit about life anymore. And I'm just going to continue to get high. And uh, I was sober for like, uh, I was sober for like two months or something or three months. And I, I did take some medication. They had me on some kind of medications. Um, but as soon as like three months, three months after two months after my surgery, they were like, oh, your ejection fraction is high enough that you don't need a defibrillator. It was at like, it was like back where it was supposed to be. They're like, we don't even know how you've made a full recovery, but you've made a full recovery within this last like <laughs> 90 days. It wasn't so your was time. Like, yeah. It really, like, really for real. Um, but I was like, well, screw that. I'm not going to take any more of my medications. Like, why am mm -hmm. I going to continue to take lithium and and magnesium and potassium and all this other crap? You know, not crap because magnesium and potassium are really good. But, you know, why am I going to take all these pills if, uh, if I don't need to, you know? And I was just like, yeah, fuck it. I stopped taking them. And awesome. uh, yeah, I guess I just made a full recovery somehow. That's awesome, man. That's all. And now you're doing just fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. After 11 I years. Have, yeah. I don't have any. It's freaking incredible, man. No, no complications. Thank <laughs> must, goodness. You need to be here to help other people, man. That's must be it. I think you found your way. It sounds like. So I'm that's, glad to hear I'm it. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. I, I'm excited to see where all this goes. It's this is like my my sixth interview or something within a two week period. So I'm getting a lot of exposure out there, and I'm hoping maybe I'll maybe I'll reach Joe Rogan one day, be able to talk about my experience. Oh yeah, something like that, something big like that where we can we can really get this message out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Thanks, bro. Thanks for being here. It was awesome. Um, man, such great info you shared. And I think so many people will be able to benefit from what you shared today. So thank you. And thank um, you. we'll have to do it again sometime, man. And uh, so other than that, man, that's it. So Heck yeah, thank you. I that. appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for giving me the platform. And thank you for your time. And, and man, I'm, I'm excited. Um, for the people who are for for my followers who are watching um this is you know i've i've partnered with with oliver and, and his company curative mushrooms and um the reason why i've done that is because i did some research and i, I saw the way that he was i've talked to him on the phone and he told me you know i, I asked him a bunch of questions and it's kind of like an interview for both of us like do i like your company and he's like do i like you and what you represent you know and so it was a really awesome dynamic. And I was like, yeah, this guy, you know, he's not just, he's not just trying to, to like sell a product to you. Like he, he wants to sell, he wants to give you a benefit. He's selling you like a, a better way of managing with things. And like, that's just, um, that unfortunately, that's the reality of life today is that we have to, you know, buy all everything, but 
if you're going to buy something and buy it from somebody who's not going to just like be like, here you go. Like, here's your product, like peace out, figure it out. And like, you know, don't even bother telling me if you like it or not, because it doesn't matter. Uh, Oliver goes live. He talks to, he talks to his, his subscribers and things about how the mushroom process is growing, any kind of complications. And I was like, man, that's what a company should be about. When the when the owner of the company makes himself available to answer questions, that's when you know you've got a good company on your hands. So that that was really like the deciding factor for me. Um and it just it just, you know, I've got my six bags growing right now. And so far they're all growing mycelium, no green patches. So I'm stoked. Sweet. How's that lion's mane going? Is that one still back? Yeah, it's Sweet. growing back. Oh, it's we got lucky, back, man. man. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Dude, that's so, amazing. You got a yeah. green one, that's why. I mean, I did exactly <laughs> what you told me to do. I wiped them down real good, wore gloves, and you know, did it in a yeah, it's in not a hard still right? room. It wasn't, it was it really wasn't what everybody told me. It was, you know, I need a hood <laughs> and a separate room with like a Dexter kill room to fucking grow. And <laughs> like, I don't need any of that. So <laughs> yeah, I was no, kind of skeptical, but it happened. And it's the success, you know, the rate shows proofs, sweet. you know, the proofs in the pudding. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, you'll have mushrooms soon. So Heck yeah. Um, But other than that, man, thanks for being here. And we'll chat with you later. Awesome. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. So the big question is this, with over 10,000 different species of mushrooms, how do people that want to benefit from their various medicinal properties accurately identify them in the wild, grow them at home, or make them taste delicious without having to read confusing medical reports and possibly eating a poisonous lookalike by mistake? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Oliver Carlin, and welcome to Curative Mushrooms.